2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse number 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Last verse again, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I want to preach on this thought. God just gave it to me in prayer here recently. A house furnished by God. A house furnished by God. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be in the house of God, assembled with uh, those of like precious faith. I pray, Lord, you know in the need, every need that's here this morning, whether it be a lost sinner that needs to be born again, whether it be someone sick in their body that needs to be healed, a miracle of healing, whether it be someone who's hungering and thirsting, Lord, for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. God, you know everything. You're able to meet our every need this morning. And we cast every care upon you, knowing that you care for us. I pray you'll anoint the preaching of the word. You'll meet us around this altar, minister to every heart and life. Help us today is our prayer. We ask it all in Jesus' name. If you love the Lord, would you say amen? A house thoroughly furnished, or a house furnished by God. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul begins to, in his letter to Timothy, begins to exhort him, to encourage him. And if you read into chapter number 4, which this letter wasn't written in chapters, it was written as a letter, and we wrote it out in chapters in order to study it in the Bible, but as a letter it flows from chapter 3 right into chapter 4 where it goes from exhortation and encouragement to a charge. So in, in chapter 4, I charge you therefore before God. So in other words, after you've received this edification, this encouragement, this exhortation, 
I'm now going to leave you with a charge or a command to do these things. But in verse number 10, he begins to to give a defense for his faith, his life. For he is imprisoned and he is about to be put to death. This the, the early church is suffering persecution like few of us have ever imagined in our life of persecution, imprisonment, uh, uh, cruel beatings, scourgings. They, they are being uh, uh, fed to wild beasts in the Roman arenas and made sport of while they are torn limb from limb. Paul has been put in prison. He is about to be put to death. The church is overwhelmed with persecution and Timothy as a young pastor uh, in the church that was in Ephesus is overwhelmed with grief and sorrow for a spiritual father, a mentor, and a dear brother in the Lord is about to be lost and it's as if Paul is encouraging Timothy before his death and would later charge him or command him to carry on afterwards. He said, but you have fully known my doctrine. I preached a message years ago, what all men should know about us. There should be no mistaking what we believe. Everyone who truly knows us and has spent any amount of time around us who has watched our life from near or from far should not be confused on what we believe. Do you know there's a lot of people that profess one thing, live another thing, and they leave their loved ones, their children, their spouses, and their communities confused as to what they really are, what they really believe if we say one thing and do another then it breeds confusion. He said, but you have fully known my doctrine. In other words, there's no confusion as to what I believe. And he said, you have fully known my manner of life. He has lived this life in front of every man. It's not been a secret what he has believed because he has lived out his faith for all men to see. You have fully fully known my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. Patience, anytime you read that word in the Bible, is not talking about that you have the ability to wait for a long time. Patience describes endurance. It meant that you had the God-given ability not to faint, not to quit, that you were inspired to continue or to wait on God for his answer or for his deliverance. And when he describes his patience, he goes right into describing what patience was. Persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. You know, if you will endure persecution, he said, out of them, 
but out of them all the Lord delivered me. I was telling the RV park this morning, if you'll just keep living, if you'll just keep working, if you'll just keep walking, if you'll just keep going, you're going to have hard times. You're going to have stormy seasons. You're going to walk through the valley. There are going to be times you feel defeated, times you feel tired, unappreciated, unwanted. There are going to be times that you feel like you don't know why that all of this had to happen to you. There are going to be seasons where you feel like a complete and utter failure, but if you'll just keep on keeping on, if you'll just keep the faith, If you will but endure the afflictions, God will deliver you out of them all. Hallelujah. He said, you've fully known my life. You've seen all this. You've watched me uh, endure. You've watched the Lord deliver me. Then he says, but evil men and seducers are also at the same time waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, don't worry about that. That's always going to be there. And that's always going to be continuing on all the way until the Lord comes back. He said, but this is what you need to focus on. Continue in the things that thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Here's where I want to preach from. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. A house... This is what it says in the Amplified. All, every scripture is God-breathed, given by His inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline in, in obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will, in thought, purpose, and action, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So a house furnished by God is a house well-fitted, thoroughly equipped, filled up with that that is necessary to do the work of God. It is the will of God that every house be thoroughly furnished. That every house be well fitted. You've heard of outfitters, right? An outfitter, whether it's for a hunting guide, an outfitter, whether it's for a uh, an excursion, uh, mountain climbing, hiking, uh, uh, boating, whatever. An outfitter is someone who equips you with every tool or piece of equipment necessary to have a successful journey. 
It is a house well fitted or that has been outfitted by God so that you can do the will of God. A house thoroughly furnished is a house thoroughly equipped. It has the proper or the necessary equipment so that you can do the work of God. If you go to a gym and there's no weights and there's no exercise equipment, guess what? It's not a gym. If you go to a restaurant and there are no tables and chairs to sit at, there are no cups to drink out of, plates to eat off of, or utensils to eat the food with, guess what? It may be a kitchen, but it's not a restaurant because it's not equipped to serve food, only to prepare food. On and on we could go. If you go to a hospital and there are no nurses and no doctors and no beds, then guess what? It's not a hospital. If you go to a house, to a church, to a home where there's no Preaching, there's no gospel, there's no doctrine, there's no faith, there's no instruction, there's no worship, there's no prayer. It may be a house, but it's not a house of worship. It's not a house of God. It's not a house equipped to set men and women up to do the work of God. He said it's the will of God that the man of God be perfect. That word perfect means complete and proficient, spiritually mature, able to do that that God has called him to do. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So God desires every house, every heart to be well fitted, thoroughly equipped, filled up with that necessary for every good work. He intends for every house to be Filled with a complete and proficient Christian. A house filled up, furnished, equipped under good works. There are too many empty houses in our land today. There are too many empty houses of worship in our house today. Houses filled with incomplete and unprofitable Christians. Houses that do not fit and equip Christians for service or for good works. Do you know a church is not a flop house? And a flop house, I, if you had asked me several years ago what that was, I wouldn't have known. But when you deal with people that are uh, vagrants, homeless, drug addicts, you learn quickly. They don't want help. At least not a lot of them. They're not looking for help. Something that you can give them training. You can give them education on how to work, on how to labor, on how to better themselves. What they are looking for is a handout. I don't need you to tell me how I got here. I don't need you to tell me about the poor choices that I've made or continue to make. I don't need you to tell me how to change or change my life. I don't want to change. I just need you to give me what I need to make it until tomorrow 
or next week or next month. That's a pitiful existence. That is not the way that God intends for a man or a woman to live their life. And if you're living just getting by from day to day, just scraping by from week to week, meeking out an existence that is not God's will for your life. God's will is for every man to be perfect, thoroughly and, and completely equipped, proficient in his life to do the work of God. You can't help somebody else uh, if you're all the, if you're always the person needing help. You, you can't do good for someone else uh, if you're scraping by your own self. Jesus said it, it is more blessed or more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's not just a preacher's gimmick to get a bigger offering. That is Christ saying if you're always on the receiving end, it means you're scraping. You're struggling. You're on the bottom, scraping the bottom, and you need somebody to give you something just so you can make it. But if you're on the blessed side, if you're living on the hallelujah side, if your life is proficient and blessed and perfected in Christ, if you're complete in Christ and you're walking with Christ in the fullness of Christ, you're in a place where you can help others, where you can be a blessing unto others, where you can say unto them, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the side I would prefer to be on. Houses that do not fit and equip Christians for service or good works are nothing more than spiritual flop houses. We give people, if you look that up in the Urban Dictionary, that's giving people a place to come and lay up. Giving people a place to come and, and, and you... Meet their needs. You give them what they lack or what they require or what they want. If they're hungry, you give them a meal. You fill their belly, but you didn't really help them. You'll find out if they won't help. You tell them if you'll enter in this program, if you'll stop drinking, if you'll stop doing drugs, the last guy tried to help, he reeked, he don't have a home, he don't have no money to buy any food, he don't have any money to stay in a hotel, and I said, do you smoke? He said, well, yeah. I said, well, the first thing you need to start doing is stop wasting your money. You need to eat, and you need a place to sleep. More than you need to suck cigarette smoke down into your lungs. I told him, you're wasting your money and you're wasting your life. Wise up. And the next time I saw him, and the next time I tried to help him, he was still without a home. He was still hungry. 
and he still had a pack of cigarettes. You want to know why? He was just going from one flop house to another. When I say a flop house, sometimes it's an aunt or an uncle. Sometimes it's a grandmother, grandfather. Sometimes it's a mom and dad, a brother or sister, a best friend, or a mere acquaintance. It's anywhere I can go to scrape by and get by to tomorrow, to next week, till next year. Pitiful. Pitiful. God help us if that's what we've become as a church. God help us if that's what we've become as parents to our children. Our grandparents to our grandchildren. We are to be perfect. Be ye therefore perfect. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be complete. Be mature. Be strong. Be proficient. Be blessed. Be full of the Holy Ghost. So that you can do the work of God. Jesus came. He said, I didn't come for men to wait upon me. For men to serve me. I didn't come as one who was in need. But I came as the Savior. I came as the servant. The one who is here to serve. And to work. And to meet the needs of others. That's why Jesus came. He never asked anyone to wait upon him, anyone to deliver him, anyone to help him. Though he had no place to lay his head, he was never in want for anything. Matthew 12 and 43 says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out and when he has come and findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter in and dwell there. The last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also under this wicked generation. He said when the devil is cast out of a man, he goes into dry places seeking rest and finds none. Number one, the devil can't swim. He, when he's kicked out, he looks for dry places. I would just say to you, don't be dry. Amen. Be filled. The Bible said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The devil can't swim. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. He said, this word, this Holy Ghost be in us like a well springing up unto everlasting life. The devil likes dry places. The devil likes dry houses. The devil likes dry churches. And the devil don't mind dry Christians. When he's cast out, he seeks for dry places, 
or he goes out into dry places seeking rest and finds none, so he comes back to the house from whence he once lived and finds it swept and cleaned and garnished. That is what happens when a person is saved. You come and you repent of your sins. You ask the Lord to cleanse you, to wash you, to forgive you. And that is what happens. He sweeps and cleans and garnishes that house. But when he comes back and he finds it swept and cleaned and garnished, but it's empty, there's nothing in the house. Not only do you need forgiveness, you need to go on under perfection, the apostle said. You need to abide in Christ. You need for the Lord to live in your heart and life. You need to be filled with the fullness of God. You do need the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire with power. You do need to walk in God's fullness. You do need the anointing that destroys every yoke upon your life. It's not just a little dabble, do you? And the gospel's not a band-aid just to heal your hurts. The gospel is not only having your heart and life swept and cleaned, but it is becoming the vessel, the house of God Almighty. What? Know you not that your body is the temple, the house of the Holy Ghost. You've got to let the Lord live His life in you. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Was the apostle's testimony. He finds the house empty. And he goes and takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. The devil goes from flop house to flop house. Those are the kind of lives that the devil wreaks havoc in. That the devil has his way with. That the devil tries to destroy for the Man who is full of God, who has been perfected in Christ, who is walking in the Spirit, who is being led by the Spirit, who is blessed of the Spirit of God, Satan is under his feet. He may be going through a battle. He, he may be attacking that individual, Satan speaking, attacking that Christian like he did Job in the Bible. But Job was never under the dominion of Satan. Not one day of his life. Do you know with boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot and skin worms eating his flesh, Job was still more a threat to the devil than any other man on the face of the earth. The devil found him to be such a threat that he he tried to kill him. But Job was more of a threat to the devil's sick and diseased in body than he was. Those three friends of his well in their body. He was never under the dominion of the devil. And a man or a woman of God is never under the dominion or the power of Satan. Satan has been defeated. Christ has won the victory for us. Satan is under our feet. And though I might be sick in body, I'm, it's well with my soul. And I, who, having endured afflictions, knowing the Lord will deliver me out of them all. 
Listen, he goes and gets other spirits and comes back and they dwell there. No man can serve two masters. You can't have the Lord living in you and the devil at the same time. You hear people, that's just Hollywood talk because they don't know what they're talking about. Well, they're dealing with their demons. It's because they've never dealt with Christ. If you'll deal with Christ, he'll deal with demons. Because when he comes, they've got to go. Oh, let me preach for just a moment. I said when he comes, they've got to go. You know what the answer to addiction is? Christ. I said, do you know what the answer to addiction is? It's Jesus Christ. Him crucified, raised on the third day. You let Jesus enter into a man's heart or a man's life. Uh, Old things will pass away and behold, all things will become new. When the devil goes, uh, his works have to go with him. Listen, but when he, when he comes in or comes back and finds the house empty, Christ is not there. There's no one abiding in that house. It's just religion. It's just talk. They're just going to church. You can go a lot of places where you can feel good. Listen, before I ever got saved, I went to a lot of places where I could be made to feel good. They play the right music, play the right guitar or drum solo, play your favorite song, chill bumps go up and down your back, but it wasn't the Holy Ghost. Felt good. Felt good. It fed the appetite, the flesh. There is even preaching that feeds the carnal appetite. God exists to give you what you want. God exists to make you happy, to make your life better. God does not exist for us. But on the contrary, we exist for God. The Bible said He created us for His good pleasure. Like it or not, God does not exist for us. We exist for God. And a proper view of God takes that selfish heart and selfish mentality and crucifies it and gives us a right perspective that I live because He lives. And I live to love Him. I live to serve Him. Listen. In Psalms 127 and verse 1, How do I furnish my house except the Lord build the house? They labor in vain that build it. God has to furnish your house. You can't furnish it. The Holy Ghost. If God is the builder of the house, then the Holy Ghost has to be God's interior decorator. His blueprint has to be the Word of God. Has to be the Word of God. He said, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer 
persecution. Paul said, you've, you've known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my long-suffering, my faith, my patience, my charity, which is my love, the persecutions, the afflictions, and out of them all the Lord has delivered me. And he said, Timothy, if you live godly, and if your brother lives godly, and if your mama and grandmother live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer the same things that I suffer. But if your house is thoroughly furnished, like my house has been thoroughly furnished, you'll weather every storm. Hallelujah to God. Not only will you weather every storm, but your house will become a shelter for those that need to weather the storm with you. Not a flop house, but a place where people can come and have their lives changed. A place where people can come and find deliverance. A place where people can come and hear instruction place where people can get well and be made whole. The Holy Ghost is God's interior decorator. He said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is why that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So he tells us what will thoroughly furnish our house. All scripture. If you want your house to be furnished by God, his design comes from his book. If he has to build the house, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. That The foundation is Christ. And the, furnish, the furniture, the furnishing is the Word of God. Everything you need in your life to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be is given you in the Word of God. In the Word of God. All scripture, every scripture from Genesis to Revelation is for you to be thoroughly furnished. He said is profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine there is instruction. We need instructions. We bought Harper a swing set for Christmas, one of those big, Playhouse swing sets, wooden playhouse, got climbing things on the side and slide down the front and swings off on the side. and looks like one of those little wooden forts with a roof over the top of it. How hard can it be? It's just a swing set. A few screws, a couple of nuts and bolts, how hard can it be? I want to tell you this, if you don't have the directions... Uh, It'll be a pitiful looking swing set. There's so many parts and gizmos and gadgets. Uh, you, you, you can't imagine where all that stuff goes and how it fits. But there's a, there's a, a, a diagram 
There's a list of everything that's included, a list of what's not included, a list of the equipment that you're going to need with what they've included and directions. Step one, step two, step three. And if you're a dummy like me, pictures, illustrations. This goes here. This goes here. You do this first. I'm the world's worst. If I see it all laid out, I'm putting together step three and trying to make it fit with step one. And I'm saying, what's going on? I've put something together before I was supposed to. That's the way a life is. That's the way a home is. That's the way a church, that's the way the kingdom is. It's built by God and it has to be furnished by God. And he gives us doctrine for instruction. The word of God is full of doctrine. We can't go on what we think. We can't go on what sister so and so thinks. We can't go on even how we feel. We can't go with modern day fad or trend or whims. We have the word of God, which is eternal, which is forever settled in heaven. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is how are you saved? How are you saved? Do you know how to tell somebody to be saved? Or why they even need to be saved? I asked somebody one time, are you saved? They said, what do you mean saved? Unchurched people, never been to church. Come from a long line of unchurched people. Daddy never went to church. Mama never went to church. Grandparents never went to church. What are you talking about? Saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Are you saved from your sin? I don't, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about religion? Well, it includes religion, but it's not solely religion. We're saved by grace through faith. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Mercy. The mercy of God. God is a merciful God. You're saved because, number one, God is merciful unto you. He didn't have to save you. He chose to save you. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That leads us to the Son. We're saved by grace through faith. What is faith? Faith is belief in God. More specifically, belief in God's Son as the Savior. Jesus Christ, thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. Amen. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth the Son. Nobody ever heard of a virgin giving birth to a son because every woman that conceives a child has to conceive seed of the child's 
father in order to carry the child. But the scripture said that the savior of the world would be born of a virgin. Why is that so important? Because the first man, Adam, succumbed to sin. And he fell in sin. And his nature and his heart and his mind became depraved because of sin. And then when Adam and Eve had children, their children inherited their sinful nature. And therefore for a Savior to deliver man from his own sinful nature, the Savior could not have the same sinful nature. Though he was born of a woman and become a man, he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. So he had no sinful nature, but he was just as much a man as every other man. And yet he had no sinful nature, therefore he could deliver us from our sin. And he gave his life a ransom. He gave his life as a substitute in exchange for mine. For the wages of sin is death. And the justice of God demanded a suitable sacrifice worthy to remove the sin. So Christ became the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So Christ shed his own blood to pay the price for my sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What am I preaching right now? Doctrine. The doctrine of salvation. Salvation that can come no other way, through no other means, under no other name, but the name of Jesus. He's the only man ever born of a virgin. He's the only man conceived of the Holy Ghost. He's the only one that ever freely gave his life for the sins of the whole world. He's the only one that was ever raised from the dead, never to die again. Hallelujah. He's the only one that was allowed access into the Holy of Holies as the eternal high priest of God. He's the only one with the eternal power and ability to save you from your sin. There's no other name you can call on. There's no other God but our God. That's doctrine. That's a doctrine of salvation. That's a doctrine of the efficating power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Your house has to be furnished with doctrine. You can't make it up as you go. There are some truths that have to be established. And when winds and waves and doctrines of devils come along, this hyper grace tells you you can live any old way you want to live. That God didn't save you from your sin. He saved you in your sin. And everybody's just a carnal, corrupt sinner sold under sin. And there's no victory or power over sin. Listen, grace is unmerited favor its mercy but it's also power sin shall not have dominion over you how shall you that are dead to sin live any longer therein if I died with Christ amen that he buried my sins with him in the tomb and I'm risen with Christ and I walk in victory over sin over Satan and over self that's doctrine you can't be removed from it. 
You have to stand your ground. And when the devil tries to browbeat you, when he tries to bend you and sway you and conform you to his will, you've got to stay. Your house is thoroughly furnished. You've got everything you need to live, to survive. Just stay there. Don't leave there. Don't wander out in the woods. Don't wander up into the cliffs, the rocks, the mountains, the caves. I've got everything I need in the house. Hallelujah. Your house is going to be furnished, thoroughly furnished. He said that scripture is profitable for doctrine and also for reproof. Here you go. Reproof simply means conviction of sin. That means where sin is, there is conviction present to reprove you of the sin. That's the thief when he breaks in to the store under cover of night. One of those little eyes. There's a there's one back there in the corner. One of those little eyes on the alarm system. A motion detector. Picks him up. And that red light goes off. Just like that motion detector just picked me up. And that light goes off. It sensed movement. It triggers the alarm. And the alarm goes off. The police are notified and the authorities are notified and sirens are blowing. You know what it does. It gives that thief warning. You stay here, you're going to jail. Why? You're breaking the law. Why? This is wrong. This is not right. You're breaking the law. Those are warnings, really, for us to keep somebody from robbing us or stealing our things. But there should have been a a bell, a whistle, an alarm that went off in his conscience, in his heart, before he ever broke and entered the building. That's called conviction. When you're about to break God's law. The word of God is preached. And if you're breaking, if you're living in open rebellion, or living a life that is continually and always the common practice in your life to break God's law, or to do that that is not pleasing in God's sight, conviction will come. Reproof would come. Conviction is a furnishing in the house of God. And it is a piece of furniture that I would never allow to be removed from the house. If you take conviction out of the house, hear me, nobody will ever be born again. The only way that a man can truly find repentance, the truly be 
experience godly sorrow that worketh repentance that need not to be repented of. It's for real conviction to come to that house. He be made to see. He has broken the law of God and he is on, on his way to a devil's hell unless he repents of his sin and is born again. Do you know without conviction a man can't get saved? You don't get saved when you want to. You don't get saved just things are going wrong. Everything's going wrong. I'm going down to the church and getting saved. That ain't the way it works. Without conviction when everything goes wrong, you're looking for the next high. Without conviction when everything goes wrong, you just walk out the door and leave it. I'm preaching to you this morning. You don't get saved when you want to. It's when you're laying in that bed. And you've heard, he said, from a child, you've known the Holy Scripture. Your mom put it in you. Your grandmother put it in you. You can't escape it. It's a part of your spiritual makeup. It's a part of your DNA. It's a part of your heritage. You can run. You can change states. You can change denominations. You can do whatever you want to do. But if somebody's preached the truth to you, truth will always convict you when you break it. Child, you've known the Holy Scriptures that make you wise unto salvation, and that house is furnished with conviction. My God, conviction's my best friend. When I start straying out, don't mean you got to be an adulterer to stray out. All it means you got to do is stop praying. Think you can preach on your own? Done it so long you can learn how. Hello. You play an instrument long enough, you can learn how to do it. Do it with your eyes closed. You can do it frontwards and backwards. Don't mean you're anointed while you're doing it. It takes the Holy Ghost to have the anointing. Hallelujah. People can sing. It's an acquired, you know, talent. You you practice at it. At least if you're going to be good at it, you'll practice at it. You get better. You can acquire certain skills of how to you know, sing in the right tune, how to sing in harmony, how to sing in the right key. You, you can, if you practice long enough, you really have a desire. People can give you lessons, voice lessons, uh, you know, teach you how to hear certain keys and notes and how to sing in harmony. It can be done. You can practice, but it don't mean you're anointed. I've watched people grow up in Pentecost. Uh, I've learned you can learn how to speak in tongues. Listen, you mark it down. If somebody's cussing and living like the devil, and every time they walk in church and they go up, and the first thing they do is raise their hands and speak in tongues. It's the Spirit. It just ain't the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues, but it don't mean the Spirit's giving them the utterance. Conviction. If I cease to pray, if I get out of the book and cease to study, cease to live what the Bible teaches me is right 
and shun the things that the Bible teaches me is wrong, whether it's doctrine or lifestyle. If ever I go into error, the first thing that God uses to bring me back into fellowship is conviction. Don't run from conviction. Don't hate the the preacher for conviction. Don't leave a church because you feel conviction. That is God's gift to you. It's that piece of furniture that's very uncomfortable to be sitting in. There's no peace, saith God, to the wicked. He sets you in the recliner, on the couch, or in the bed of conviction until you run to the Savior in repentance. On we go for correction. Correction of error. Correction of error. That's one of the definitions there in the Greek. Correction of error. That's when you're talking to that drug addict or that homeless man or woman. And you say, you, you, you don't just need a plate of food. You need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to quit doing the drugs. You need to quit drinking. You need to quit Living in, in, in fornication. You need to quit sinning. You need to get out of the sinning business. You need to submit your life unto God. God will turn your life around. The Lord will bless you. You need more than a plate of food. I believe in helping them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to feed them. If it's winter time and they're freezing to death, got a t-shirt on, pair of britches, I'm, I'm going to give them a jacket. I'm going to put them in a hotel room, but I'm also going to offer them correction. You don't have to stay like this. It don't always have to be this way. That ought to be in every house if it's furnished by God. Correction. Amen. And then also, Instruction in righteousness. That is not just the correction of error, but that is discipline in obedience. Instruction in righteousness. Come help me, Kirsten, so I can close. Instruction in righteousness. Not only teach you what you're not supposed to do, but put in you what's right. That you may know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Preacher, don't always tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's right. Don't always preach to curse the darkness. I know some preachers, all they ever do is preach against what's wrong. You got to preach on what's right. You got to preach on what God smiles on, what pleases God, what enables us to do the will of God so that people will know what to do. Amen. If you're able, stand with me this morning.